Hello and welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. We're part of the 440 Sports Network. Billy Derrick and Luke Wyatt joining me today. We thank our sponsors, Wash House, the Murfreesboro Pure Milk Company, Sutherland and Belk, and the Maynard Nexon Government Contacts Group. Again, our podcast is part of the 440 Sports Network. Our news today is presented by the Wash House, which is also our presenting sponsor for basketball season. Are you dreading laundry day? Is it stealing time from the things that you truly enjoy? Let the laundry professionals at the Wash House take care of that for you. With two convenient locations in the Nashville area, just drop off your dirty laundry and our professional attendants will give you back the one thing that you can't have enough of, which is your time. Within 24 hours, guys, you get your laundry back. It is folded. It is clean. It is fresh. It is better than what I do, I'm sure, around our place. And uh, business is run by Steve Andrews. has been a good friend of mine for 20 years, just one of the best human beings I know. The guy's got a, a conscience. He will work hard. He will make sure that he delivers his promise. So help out those who help our show and give our folks at the Wash House a look. Go to washhouseclean.com. Stop in today. Get your time back. All right. Our topics today on the show, as well as this season's baseball content, are presented by the Murfreesboro Pure Milk Company, a family-owned third-generation milk and ice cream company located in Murfreesboro. They work with Mayfield, Nestle, and haagen also, but they mostly work with Purity. And let me tell you guys, um, I don't even know where to start with their moose tracks. If you've not had them, you are missing out on life. Uh, my kids have been making milkshakes from that lately. Um, the turtle tracks are good too, but the milkshake flavor around the house of choice lately is the moose tracks. And, and you know what? Sometimes mom and dad don't know best. Sometimes kids know better. And that is their go-to flavor. And it's kind of becoming mine too. So again, help out those who help our show. And uh, you can visit our sponsor at mpmci.com and learn more about what they do. Okay. Our topics today I guess we'll talk a little bit about takeaways from the first couple games. We'll talk about the depth chart. Um, we'll talk about whatever you want to go to. But I guess the big thing that, that stood out to me, uh, two things, is I've had a little bit more time to process things that I saw Saturday night. You guys were on the postgame show. I was not. I had a write-up. Uh, and, and to be honest, here's how the, the business of, of writing works. If you're trying to get something out quickly, you're writing during the game. So I'm, I'm writing probably in the third or fourth quarter uh, about some takeaways and some things like that, uh, right about the time Vanderbilt starts to play ball finally. Um, so I think what I had written, um, I'm not going to say it was too harsh, but there were probably some positives in there that I didn't get to just by the timing of that. I'm trying to get that out before we go to the press conference and everything, and you can only write so fast. So Look, I, I still wasn't thrilled with what I saw against Alabama A&M, uh, but, but I probably, once I saw how Vanderbilt put a bow on things the last quarter and a half or so, I, I felt a little better. You could say, well, it's Alabama A&M. I will say, well, part of my criticism is it was Alabama A&M and they weren't dominating that game like they should. So at least I felt like they took care of business late in that one. Luke, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, we you know we talked about it in the post game, but – First half was very disappointing in a lot of ways. You know, you're up, I think, you know what, 19-3 or 19-10, whatever it was. And uh, come out the second half, 
And I felt like there was a renewed energy, whether it was whatever Clark gave them at halftime or they came to the realization that, you know, just because it's Alabama A&M doesn't mean we're, we don't have to play hard. Because I felt like that everything was kind of casual in the first half. Uh, after that first drive, when we played defense very vanilla, I felt like the defense played a little better, but the offense was uh, hit and miss. And uh, second half, you know, second half was the way we expected the entire game to go, I think. Yeah, I think what was most impressive was, uh, you know, how they were able to turn it on in the second half. I mean, you know, that first offensive possession, they got the ball in the hands of of arguably their best playmaker in space, Jane McGowan. Um, and, and, you know, they went down the field and scored. But then you saw the lapse defensively uh, where, you know, B.J. Anderson, Jalen Mahoney, you know, are, are confused. They're on a deep ball and Alabama A&M cuts it to 19 to 10. I think it was at that point. And, and at that point, you know, you're saying, you know, is this going to be a game? And But quickly, next possession, Swan got back out there and Vanderbilt extended the lead. So that was that was probably nerve-wracking for a lot of Vanderbilt fans to sit there during that game and think to yourself, is is this going to be like the Hawaii game? And so I think they showed a lot of, of what they're capable of. Uh, obviously, A.J. Swan has to be more consistent. He knows that Clark knows that if if they want to win against Wake Forest, and I'm sure I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, defensively, they were better as a whole. I mean, really throughout the game. And yeah, it's Alabama A and M, you know. But but to look to look that much better after Hawaii, I think was encouraging as well. Um, now it'll get a little bit tougher against Wake Forest. You know, you're not facing the Alabama A and M offense this weekend. So, uh, but yeah, Chris, I thought defense was better, but offensively. They, they just have to be more consistent, if, if especially if they want to go on the road and, and beat Wake Forest. Oh, Chris, I think you're muted. Yeah, that's that's the Oreo mute. Um, <laughs> although he's not acting up at the moment, so there's that. Uh, all right, concerns. You, you guys know mine going forward. I'll start with Luke, your response on this. Uh, again, I, I just didn't think the offensive line is mostly dominated through the first two games and then dominated might be a high expectation, but look, it's Hawaii and Alabama a and I expected a more commanding performance. Uh, the, the running back room, I, I get the feeling Cedric Alexander is going to be the guy before too long. So maybe that starts to take care of itself, but uh, Luke, how concerned are we with offensive line going forward? Well, uh, more concerned than I thought we'd be after two games. Uh, main reason is because the health maybe of our right tackle is it Uzebi? I'm sorry, the pronunciation. Uzebu. Uzebu. Yeah. Okay, I'm you know a little concerned with the health. Um, I, the you know there's been some talk about maybe we got a couple of guys that are out of shape, overweight. I don't see that. You know, I'd much rather have a guy that's 350, 360, and can still move his feet, which Castillo and Hernandez still can move their feet. They just haven't executed. It's and, and a lot of that has to do with the competition. And I've talked about it before. Kids at Vanderbilt and at a lot of places think that they can just sometimes the ball gets rolled out there and you're going to win the game with a half, you know, what effort. And that's not the case in college football. Everybody has players. Even in Alabama A&M has players. You know, you, you have to show up and play the entire 60 minutes. And I, I feel like that's what you'll see Saturday. 
Yeah, Junior Zebu is day-to-day right now, questionable. So is Leighton Nelson. Uh, he is day-to-day. So we'll see if uh, either of those guys, Uzebu or Nelson, are able to go Saturday. But, I, I again, Ashmore, I think, looked better after Hawaii. There were a couple of guys that looked better. Grayson Morgan, uh, I don't. I think he played a little bit against Hawaii, but he didn't start. He started against Alabama A&M, and Clark talked about Grayson Morgan stepping in you know, at a moment's notice and, and playing pretty well. He graded pretty well uh, with, with the PFF uh, chart. And then Gunnar Hansen, I thought, played a little bit better as well. But you're right, Luke. Castillo and Hernandez have to they've – they've got to wake up a little bit, right? You know, the, the middle of that line, they just have not been able to create many holes. I mean, even against an Alabama A&M. Now, they ran the ball a lot better, I think, in the second half. But early on, you know, you, saw, you still saw some things that you saw against Hawaii. So if, if Vanderbilt can carry over what they were able to do in the second half against Alabama A&M, I think they're in good shape. Now, that's easier said than done, but the offensive line concerns, I think, were maybe eased a little bit. Right, Clark said they were more cohesive, uh, but again, you've got to, you've got to be even more cohesive uh, this week uh, against Wake Forest. I want to ask you guys about one more thing. A.J. Swan has been criticized a lot for the the RPO part of things and, and maybe decision-making there. Um, that's not something I've, I've dug into a lot. Uh, are they better off at this point, Luke, just maybe simplifying what they do and, and, and taking that out of it? I mean, because first of all, this is not Mike Wright, right? This is not a guy that's going to burn you for 100 yards rushing if you're not careful. By the way, he went five for 95 on Saturday for Mississippi State. Um, but mm-hmm. what what do we think about that starting with Luke? Well, I think the RPO, you can't completely take it out. I think trying it early in the game, see how we're doing, is fine. But as the game moves on, his decision-making has to be better if they're going to keep running it. Um, it's just, you know, taking it out completely, I don't think that's the answer. But uh, using less, using it less is is the answer. Yeah, and, and you're right, Luke. He, he's I think it's 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 not as simple as he's got to make better decisions. I think the offensive line has to improve. The running backs have to improve as well, and the receivers have to improve in the blocking game. But at the end of the day, you know it is about your quarterback making those reads in that offense, right? And and the timing, the rhythm that that's what the RPO is all about. And when when you are able to have timing and rhythm in an RPO type of play. You see it, right? It's like, man, that 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 worked. But they just haven't had that consistently. And so we'll see. I, I think maybe this is a week where they don't do as much. Um, but it'll be interesting. I think that's a good question, Chris. And that's I think that's something to watch. Let me give you another thing I'm watching. Because it was something I heard in the press conference on Tuesday that that bothered me a little bit. I'm not, I'm not taking issue with anything Clark Lee said, but the conversation on Ricky Wright went from after Saturday night. Yeah. He'll, he'll be out there. He'll be fine for next week to he's day to day. Uh, and, that. and guys, I, I think this secondary, I mean, I think if you're being realistic, you've got to be a little bit nervous. Uh, now I'll give you this. I, I think Martel height, Taking more snaps next week, uh, he took more. He outsnapped Tyson Russell last week. I think that's a positive development. I just think the upside there is better. Are there going to be rookie mistakes that he makes that Tyson Russell wouldn't make? I, I guess we'll wait and see. 
But the thought of facing Wake Forest with no Ricky Wright, uh, I'll start with you, Billy. That's that is that's concerning. That's yeah, a scary proposition for for Vanderbilt fans, especially with the game he had against Hawaii, two two interceptions, and you could argue that those plays won that game. And uh, you know he's that type of player; he can impact a game like that. And you know you got to believe he's going to play. I mean. I, <laughs> You know, a, a game as big as this, Clark said he's day-to-day and questionable with an ankle sprain. But my gut tells me he'll be playing. Now, he may not start. Maybe they go Sewell to start. Um, but, again, I, I think he plays. My gut tells me he plays. But if he doesn't, th- this Vanderbilt defense is in trouble because we saw what happened last year on, on the boundaries. But if you don't – if you're not strong – at safety either, then that really opens your defense up uh, for a lot of potential mistakes. So, you know, and this is a system, not just a player, right? Mitch Griffiths is is still a good quarterback, but, you know, just because you're not playing Sam Hartman doesn't mean, you know, this is a different system. This is the same exact system that Wake Forest is running, you know, as they ran last year. So, you know, and, and you can't get out, get in a shootout, Luke. I mean, you just you're not going to win a shootout against Wake Forest. Um, now, maybe maybe some things go your way, and maybe you do win a game, 42, 35. But I just I don't see Vanderbilt winning a shootout. So they've got to have Derricky Wright. My gut, Luke tells me they will. Well, I think Derricky will play. Uh, the decision Clark has to make is: is it better to start him? Mm-hmm. And or wait and see how the flow of the game goes and see if you need him. Uh, I think we both, we all think that we need him, but I, um, I did, I want to push back a little bit, Billy. I I do think it'll be a high scoring game, not necessarily what we call a shootout, but I think it's going to come down to who doesn't turn the football over. You give any extra possessions to wake and we're in trouble. And the same thing, I think, with them. If they give us the ball in their territory, we're going to capitalize as well. So that, that's the reason why I do think it'll get the game will get in at least to the high 30s for the winner. Uh, Clark knows this offense as well as anybody. That doesn't mean they're going to do a better job than they did last year. But I do think having, having, having known Clark the way he is and the way he throws himself on this film study, He's going to have some some things up his sleeve to slow down that slow mesh and that hanging bang pass pass routes they run, but it comes down to the execution of the players. You know he can he can draw things on a board all day long, but if if the kids can't execute the plan, then uh, we're going to have some trouble. But I do think Ricky will play. Luke, here's my concern with what you're saying, and I, I'm not. I'm not faulting the logic there of why he would, especially if it's a, okay, can we, can we get by without him with Savion Riley or or whoever that is? But (laughs) the flip side is, well, you could, you can be down 14 to nothing to wake in five minutes if things don't go your way. And and that's not the place you want to be either. No, no, I I agree with that. I, I guess what I'm saying is this, if you start him and you play him and he's, then, then he can't play, then he's out and he's done for good. If you can get to halftime, this game you play to get to half and see where you're at. Now, if, like you said, if we get down 14 nothing, you're going to go ahead and put him in the game. But you can get down 14 to nothing with him playing. 
as well. And I guess my, my thing is, okay, the less minutes in the game, let's have to Ricky for the final 30 minutes in the first 30. That's just, that's just my opinion. Did, did we get clarification on what the injury was or, or were, are we going on hockey? Okay. Well, ankle. Ankle. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I mean, that's, that's better than hamstring or something like that. So. And I'm not a doctor obviously, but I've been around, been around it a ton. If it's not a high ankle sprain, the chances of him playing and being effective are much better. If it's a high ankle sprain, those things take some time. Well, and, and I'll say this, you know, Clark also talked about this week that they don't, you know, this isn't a situation where you have to have Ricky practice a couple of days, right? Because he has the experience. He could go this week without practicing, but still be ready to play. So I think that's another thing to watch just because he like, like tomorrow, Chris Thursday, if Ricky doesn't go, I don't know that that necessarily means he's not playing. Right. So I, I think that's something to watch too. Derricky rides an experienced guy. He's mature. He's smart enough to know, you know, whether he can go or not as well. So I think that's that's something to keep an eye on as well. Yeah. And to your point, uh, Billy, how many days were you at fall camp where he didn't participate at all? I mean, it was it was the more majority. than not. So he's he's kind of gotten used to this, okay, I'll rest up and, and not yeah. play and Right. Lo and behold, he he shows up against Hawaii and in his all world. So there's that. All right, guys. One thing we've not gotten into that I think has probably been Vanderbilt's best attribute this season is special teams play. Brian Longwell blocked one punt, maybe two. Uh, I mean, in the press box, they gave it to Langston Patterson. They think that's what we thought. I think there were some rumblings later that Longwell got it. I've not gone back and watched the replay of that second one. Uh, still not quite sure what they've got in the kicking game, but they haven't missed a kick yet either. So there's that. And, and you've got Matt, Matt Hayball, who's been pretty good and is about that close on several punts from, from being a whole lot better if they can down those balls at the one. Is special teams, and I'll start with you, Billy, is, is that a place where Vanderbilt has got an, a decisive advantage in this one? And I say that not really knowing what Wake has got. Yeah, I and and I don't really know a whole lot about Wake has, but what we do know is what Vanderbilt has and what Justin Lustig has done with that unit is is remarkable. They ranked 117th in special teams prior to his arrival, and they were 127th during his first season. In 2022, they jumped to 44th in the nation, and they'll probably be borderline top 25 this year. I mean, that's how you know, that, that's how good they've been in just two games. I know it's a small sample size, but they rank 10th in the nation, according to ESPN's FPI, and they've got an efficiency grade of 97, almost 97. We've seen the kickoff return. We've seen the long punt returns, right? And and, and Clark always talks about winning in the margins. You, you have to, if you're Vanderbilt, especially in games like these, Wake Forest, Auburn, Kentucky, Missouri, Florida – if you don't win in the margins on special teams, you know, you sort of you sort of take yourself out of part of the game, right? And and, and so I, I think my gut tells me they've got a better unit that than Wake Forest, but you know, we haven't talked a ton about Matt Hayball, but that's probably a good thing. I mean, Matt Hayball continues to impress. I think you said he had a sixty two, Luke, uh against uh against A and M. So, you know, if they can continue this that this is this is a good sign. I mean, Longwell, a freshman, right, gets a block in his second game ever. Um, you know, Langston Patterson was in on both of them, I think. So speed and depth 
is what you're seeing w- with this team, and, and it's it's playing out in the special teams. So, yeah, Chris, I mean, I Vanderbilt might have the advantage in in a lot of these games. I mean, a lot of these SEC games, too, just because uh, they put a lot of value in them, and Justin Lustig, I really do think, is one of the best coordinators in the country. Uh, it's hard not to be positive about this unit. Now, knock on wood, they could go out against Wake Forest, get a punt block, blocked, miss a field goal, and, and a lot of this goes out the window, but I really do think that's that's something to look at in this game. And if Vanderbilt can win the special teams battle, you know, that's that's one less thing you got to worry about if you're Clark Lee. And, you know, then if you don't turn the ball over, that's the formula. It, you know, we, we hear Clark talk about the formula. Special teams is a huge part of it. So um, I've been really impressed with what Coach Lustig's been able to do. Yeah, Coach Lustig, uh, in my experiences at Vanderbilt, is the best special teams coach we've had since Ken Wisenhunt. Uh, if you look at the Wisenhunt special teams when he was here with Dowhauer, uh, that was the only part of that football team that was really, really good. And uh, the kids loved uh, the, the way he – the, the rewards and the way he attacked special teams and made it seem like it's just as, as important as offense and defense, which it, we all know it is. But convincing kids of that that are, aren't playing on, on uh, either side of the ball – and all they have to do all day is run down the field on a punt or a kickoff. Getting those guys to run through a brick wall for you, Lustig's got that going on. And and all the other the techniques and, uh, you know, special teams, it's just – it's very uh, intricate. If you're off by some of your steps, the way you uh, hold your lane, if you're off just a hair, it can make all the difference in the world in a 12-yard return and a 60-yard return. And Justin does a terrific job of that. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Those those little details. I had a an NFL special teams uh, coach. I don't know if he's a coordinator, but he was certainly on, on the special teams staff. Uh, tell me one time that when you see an extra point missed, it's generally on the snap or something you, you didn't see. So it's just those little precise things yes. that, that make a difference, and and they've been very good in executing those. Okay, guys. I'm going to bring up one more topic before we go to the mailbag, and you guys are welcome to bring up others if you think of things. But I feel like we don't talk a lot about Will Shepard, and and we're not right now uh, because I think we all kind of know at this point what Will Shepard can do. And I think once we almost take Will Shepard for granted right now, which probably isn't fair, but um, that's also a statement about him. But the guy that's really caught my eye is Jaden McGowan because I had some questions about Jaden McGowan. Started out last year like a house on fire. Wasn't so good in the second half. We find out later, hey, he's dealing with injuries, missed part of spring with another injury. And I think, boy, fall camp is kind of a distant memory now, but it feels like he even missed some time in fall camp just with load Mm -hmm. management stuff. He has come out like a house on fire. Uh, He's right there with Shepard on the stat sheet for receiving. He had that kickoff return for a touchdown. I think Junior Cheryl, honestly, coming in and, and looking so competent right away, and you saw a 35-yard catch Saturday, I think that in health had probably pushed Jaden McGowan to the point that I, I think he's starting to live up again to what everybody thought of him this time last year when he was making some plays. Yeah, he looks more aggressive to me. You know, he catches the ball and he goes, and and he knows that that he's really good. You know, last year, you, know, you saw some ball security issues. Um, you know, and, and it just a lot of it was just freshman, you know, freshman stuff that that a lot of freshmen struggle with. But 
I still look back, Chris, at, at the beginning, first drive of that second half. I mean, they went out. It was, I think, three, maybe even four touches for McGowan. And he averaged, you know, over tw- 10 yards a catch. And it was like, boom, boom, boom. This offense is, is off and rolling. So, and I put on the board right when that happened, you know, sometimes it's that easy, right? Now, it, it's not always going to be, but Vanderbilt has the ability to do that, right? If they see that, that open in an offense, I mean, it was it was as simple as screen passes getting the ball to McGowan. So six catches. I mean, having just as many catches as Will Shepard, I think, says something too that that you know he he can be a guy for this offense, and you know other guys have to step up as well. But Luke, I mean, every team seems to have a Jaden McGowan on their team, and it feels like that's what Coach Mason struggled with getting right a guy that you can just when when you're in trouble, you know, when you need a big play. You know, he didn't really have that safety valve. I guess Keyshawn Vaughn might have been that. But in, in at the receiver position, right, Clark's been able to find his. And, you know, it's it's played a huge role in the, these first couple of games. Yeah, I think I think with what you're talking about with Coach Mason, they thought they had that with Cam Johnson. But that's mm-hmm. what Cam is. Uh, he's just a possession receiver. Um, and, and I, look, you guys were 100% right. And, and, Chris, what you said about – uh, Cheryl is exactly what I was thinking. That's why Jaden has stepped his game up. Junior Cheryl coming in, you, you know, again, the old iron sharpens iron thing, and he has pushed him. And Jaden's like, look, man, you're not getting my minutes. It's the same thing, you know, now now we have Shepard who gets a lot of double coverage, so that's going to give Jaden more opportunities to make plays. Pretty soon you got to make a decision, and we're going to go single coverage with Will, and when you do that, that's poison for that defense because Will, in games like this, I think Will will step up big Saturday. And in those situations, when he gets one-on-one coverage, there's no reason to go through your progressions, throw it to Will. And that is, that's, what hap- that's what has happened. I've noticed that I've tried to watch. I've tried to watch the receivers closely, Chris. Luke's right. Anytime they've had Shepard one-on-one, that's where Swan is gone. And it might not be noticed by fans um, – you know, watching the game, but you know, if you're at the Wake Forest game or if you're at another home game, keep an eye because it it really is that simple with this offense. If they've got Shepard one on one, that's where they're going, and that's another thing to watch against Wake. And Wake Forest's corners, I think, are both six foot, right? Not no taller. So Will Shepard will have a huge height advantage over those corners. All right, gentlemen, I've got. Go ahead, Luke. No, one quick thing. AJ's accuracy. He, he has to be pinpoint this Saturday because mm-hmm. there's going to be open receivers for this for this game. If, if he's accurate and throwing the ball like he did in that first drive the other night and matriculating down the field, as Hank Stram would say, we're going to have a fun day. Gentlemen, we're going to go to the mailbag in a minute. I've got one more topic I wanted to bring up, but I wanted to see if you guys had anything you wanted to throw out to the group to discuss before we hit the mailbag. I've got something. And my something is Cedric Alexander. And, and I talked to I talked to Luke about this um, after the game. And we might have a mailbag question about this, but I want to go ahead and get um, this out. What he did, I don't think can be glossed over. And I, I know it was garbage time. I know it was Alabama A&M. But the, his first touchdown run was something I hadn't seen from a Vanderbilt running back in quite a while. I mean, probably Keyshawn Vaughn, right? The, the finish and even the second one. I mean – 
you got to take it with a grain of salt, though. And Luke, I know we were joking about overreactions uh, in the postgame show about how, you know, it happens with fans. I think it happens with us as well. But for both of y'all, did that do anything? You know, Clark might say it in the presser. You know, we're, we're, we're still committee. You know, we like Smith and Gillespie. But deep down, do you think that changed anything with, with, with the staff uh, on, on those, those running backs? I don't. I think I think Clark's what he said is correct. Said well, obviously they're all three going to get their chances again, but I think there'll be a shorter leash on the other guys because we've now got on film what Said can do in a game. Now, granted, that was late in the game against a tired and haggard defense. Mm-hmm. So you got to take that in consideration. But just the way he, the confidence which he ran with, really showed me something. And, and we still have a card in, in, in our back part, pocket with A.J. Newberry. A.J.'s got that speed, breakaway speed, that really none of those other three have. So there's there's chances you're gonna he's going to have a breakout game somewhere along the line and get an opportunity. All right, Luke, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with you. I don't often. Or, or maybe, maybe we're not disagreeing. Uh, and maybe you're right. Maybe it doesn't change anything. But I'm going to argue it should change something. Uh, because you guys know I was the one in this conversation that that after fall camp, I, I just wasn't buying that we've got a better running back room. The, it's the line that blocked for, for Ray Davis last year, that that's the thing they should be talking about, that the, that the line that blocked for a 1,000-yard rusher is back, even if the rusher himself is at Kentucky. Okay, I'm, I'm going to give you some things. First of all, we put pro football focus grades up on our site and pro football focus mm-hmm. is not God, but they do something nobody else does. And so at least they're willing to make a, a, a go at it where else nobody else is. Cedric Alexander, I think had 24 snaps was the highest graded player on offense for Vanderbilt last week. So again, some of it posted in garbage time, uh, but you know, this is also the kid that looked the best in the, in their spring game too. That would be exhibit a, uh, exhibit B, I will give you yards per carry so far. Cedric Alexander, 14 attempts, 6.4 per carry. Uh, Patrick Smith, 17 attempts, 4.7. Chase Gillespie, 11 for 3.5. But you say that's just a small sample size. It's this year. Last year, here's what those guys did Patrick Smith, 2.7 per carry. Chase Gillespie, 4.4. Look, this this is a day and age of explosiveness, and, and unless the guy's just a train wreck on blocking assignments, uh, guys, the, the time to fool around is, is gone. They got to win this game Saturday, in my opinion, to get to a bowl. Uh, to, to to me, unless there's a really good reason that I'm not seeing not to, I think Cedric Alexander needs to be the guy going forward, and and I think hesitation on that in this one. You know, I I just don't want us to be sitting here Monday going, well, if Alexander got more carries, maybe that's the difference in a field goal win and a field goal loss. I I just I'm not buying in to the first two guys on the depth chart uh, based on what I've seen. Now, look, a lot of that is offensive line, but to me, that goes even more. If if your offensive line isn't blocking, you need a guy who can break some runs, and clearly, he's the best of those three options. Yeah, and he's been able to pass. <laughs> he, well, I was going to add, he's been able to pass block as well. You mentioned 
He he, you know, you don't need a train wreck as a as a as a blocker. Cedric Alexander has been touted as as one of the better you know blockers on the team as a freshman running back as well. So that'll be interesting. You know, obviously they've got guys up there, Patrick Smith, Gillespie. Um, the good thing is they've got those guys, right? They've got experienced guys, and if one goes down, you know, like Patrick Smith did, you know, with I think he had a dislocated shoulder, right, uh, Luke? I think I heard that. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, he came back. Pop, <laughs> popped it back in. It, so apparently he's a full go now. So, uh, you know, tough kid. That's pretty impressive. So they like Patrick Smith's experience and toughness. But it, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah. Chris, let me rebut a little bit on what you said. And uh, that's fine. We just differ on that. But what what the coaches think is this, and they have to deal with this on a daily basis. Okay. Let's say said becomes the feature back. If he becomes the feature back, Patrick Smith and Gillespie, now you've got a problem in that room, and I'm going to tell you why. If Cedric gets hurt, you've got to go back to those two kids. And unfortunately, I'm not saying this is right, but unfortunately a coach has to think in those terms, look, I know Ced's the best guy right now, but if I take all these carries away from these two guys and they they become minimalized, then if there's an injury – they're going to be like, okay, I'll just transfer. That's the kind of crap you have to think about nowadays, unfortunately. So that's the reason why I still think those guys will still get some carries. Well, and, and to your point, what happened, what was it, game four last year? Rocco Griffin. Yeah. Rocco Griffin took off. There you go. And you have to think about that. You do. Yeah. Because, unfortunately, in the next 10, 11 weeks, one of those backs is probably going to get hurt or not necessarily injured, but deemed. Uh, yeah. As a coach, you have to think about those things as well. No, I, I get it. I, I do respect that, uh, especially when you're trying to build a team based on chemistry. I, I, I just think with my eyes, what this team needs is some more explosiveness. And, and maybe you're maybe you're careful about right. those spots. Maybe maybe Patrick Smith is your your more short yardage guy, and Alexander's is maybe the guy that that gets more carries when you take over on your own twenty five. But uh, I, I just think. He gives you something that they're lacking. Um, you know, if, if if this is a video game and and there are no emotions involved, but I get it. Um, all right, gentlemen. In any other topics before I bring up my last one for the mailbag, and Billy, I'll have you go ahead and get that ready. Um, I'll, I'll do the reads while you're doing that. But I want to ask while you're getting that ready, I want to ask Luke a question. Okay, uh, we talk about ice cream flavors a lot on this show. And I'm I'm a vanilla guy. I like a good vanilla. Purity makes a really good vanilla. But fans don't like vanilla offenses. But coaches also don't like to show everything in the first couple of games, especially games that you think you can win. And coaches can say all they want about take it one game at a time, blah, blah, blah. Well, Vanderbilt knew was a 17-point favorite over Hawaii. Got a little closer than it should have, but they won the game against a team they beat by 53 a year ago. I, I don't think we could have really envisioned any scenario in our minds before Alabama a and where they lose that game unless they're like minus five in turnovers. And, and even then, I might have given them a shot to win it. So that said, coaches are never going to come out and say it, but you know that the 10 games ahead are a lot tougher than the two in the rearview mirror. Luke, I'm interested on your take on how vanilla Vanderbilt has been on offense and defense so far, and 
is there a lot more in the bag of tricks that they've not shown just because of that schedule? Uh, you know, most coaches, some more than like throw a Elaine Kiffin out and throw some other coaches out there to that type of coach. They're going to put in three or four new plays every week. And now, did we do that from Hawaii to Alabama A&M? No. Will we do that from A&M to Wake? You betcha. So, yeah, and to answer your question in a long way, it has been vanilla, but uh, and there's a lot of things that they can still do, especially with those speedy wide receivers. There's a lot of things they can do. Uh, it's going to require some three receivers, 31 sets, what I call it, because you're going to need that extra back, the back end to block. So you're not going to have the back out in the pattern. But there's going to be a lot of things I think you see differently with the receivers. Yeah, and as a housekeeping thing, too, you, you might be able to do some different things with Darren Agu in the game, uh, which hopefully sounds like should be the case on Saturday. Yep. Uh, we've not seen him for a single snap in two games so far since he dislocated his elbow. But it's been, what, has that been almost a month now since that happened? Yeah, almost. Yeah. yeah. But he could have gone against Alabama A&M, as we talked about in the postgame, Luke. Um, <clears throat> but he didn't pra- He didn't get enough practices in last week. So he's a full go, though, you know, and and that that's good. That, that's a good sign for for Vandy fans. All right, gentlemen, the mailbag is presented by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. That is the longest-running sponsor of our podcast. Wonderful human beings. I know lawyers and wonderful human beings in the same sentence, but they, these guys really are. Uh, so if you have any needs in that area, hopefully you don't, but if you do, uh, I, I'd swear by those guys. Okay, our guest line is presented by John Levin and the Maynard Nexon Government Contacts Group. They are a new sponsor. They advise a government. They advise government contractors on all aspects of their business with a proud focus on matching legal solutions to business needs. You can reach the group at 256-551-0171 and browse their website. It is they, they have an incredible number of people on their team, including a Chris Lee, by the way. Um, Look at that. Yeah, probably smarter than than the one in this video. But anyway, uh, Billy, let's run off the questions. I've got to be out of here in about 25 minutes, and let's do it in this order. Uh, you asked the question, give us your take on the answer, then we'll throw it to Luke, and then I'll close if got I've it. got any differing thoughts. Got it. All right, who are you with, VU? asks is the o-line too big too slow it feels like the movement isn't there even compared to last year do any of you think that by the end of the year that the offensive line will be quite different than what we've seen so far it's a good question i I think it's a good observation because you know i've been surprised by uh, the lack of push in the run game now i I think they were better against alabama a&m but again it's alabama a&m so, it, you know, it's 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 hard to really, you know, gauge that improvement. I thought Gunnar Hansen looked better overall. Castillo, uh, and, and again, I hate pointing out guys on their own. I think Castillo and Hernandez have, have underwhelmed. I, I'll just, you know, I'll go ahead and say it. You know, the interior of that line, uh, especially that left side, has, has not been great. Uh, Bradley Ashmore, I, I think, has been fine. I mean, I, I, haven't, I haven't noticed anything out of the ordinary from him. 
Uzibu, I think they like, but he, he's banged up right now. And, and I talked about Grayson Morgan. I thought Grayson Morgan looked good, as good as he can. I mean, I think he had a couple of penalties, but, you know, for a sophomore to go in there and, and hold his own, I know I keep saying it's Alabama A&M, but, you know, to go in there against anybody as a sophomore right tackle, you know, is is impressive to, you know, to say the least. So that'll be interesting to, to monitor. I mean, if, if Junior Zebu can't go and you got to send Grayson Morgan out there at right tackle again, that'll be interesting. Um, but in terms of the question, I, I think it's a good question. I, again, I don't, I don't think they're too slow. I mean, they're not the most athletic guy. They're not, not the most athletic group down the road with a Leighton Nelson, a Grayson Morgan, um, you know, some of the other guys, Barrett Maddox, that's going to be an athletic group that'll be able to pull, uh, you know, a little bit easier. Uh, this group is experienced, but they're not as skilled as they will be here in a few years. Uh, and, and, you know, that's, that's obvious. Um, I don't think they're too big. I don't know what you guys think there, uh, but I don't know how different it'll be at, by the end of the season. I think Morgan, you know, if he keeps playing well, he might, might overtake that right tackle spot. But with the other spots, I think they, they would likely stay the same if, if they all stay healthy. Well, there's, there's, I think, 10 guys played Saturday, maybe more than that. And uh, I think that's what you'll see throughout the rest of the year because of how the offensive line gets those dings and gets injuries. injuries and, you know, you got two or three guys out one week. So you're going to have to have eight or nine guys play. I think Kevo Wesley did a pretty good job. You know, mm-hmm. I isolated on him a couple of times. I don't know what his grade was, but I, I think he's another guy that you can depend on. So I think as far as changing, no, it's going to be those those same guys primarily if they stay healthy, but you're going to play eight to nine guys every game. I'm looking at pro football focus grades from Saturday. The, the line actually graded pretty well. Uh, Hanson, Ashmore, Morgan in that order in, in terms of, of grades handed out. Uh, and Hanson had the best game by pretty significant margin according – to them, um, Hernandez was the worst. Castillo was was in between, and and, and neither of those guys graded poorly. But yeah, I'm I'm disappointed, guys. I mean, for a, a group that brands itself as is greasers, and I'm not I'm not taking shots at anybody here. But you go into the season thinking four or five guys returning, third year center, left tackle that they think can play in the league, right tackle who started for parts of four years, or right guard. Uh, Castillo has been pretty good at times. I mean, you, you got all this experience, all this continuity. You're starting to build a little depth with, with second year guys. And, and again, uh, maybe it's just playing to the level of competition, but w- when that's part of your identity, you come out, you kind of underwhelm against Hawaii and Alabama and uh, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm going to have some concerns. And, and again, maybe we can explain them away at the, the end of the year and just say, these were guys, playing down to, to the level of competition. But um, so far, all we got is, is two games of a track record, and that's what we go on. Yeah, at the end of this question, he said, also, what is Herb Hand doing these days? Central Florida. One of, one of, Central Florida, one of the better O-line coaches uh, Vanderbilt's ever had. So, Did you see how many coach, points those guys put up? Probably they, a lot. They put up 735 yards on, um, goodness, who was it? 60 something points. Uh some of the some of the offensive outputs, Luke and I talked about this, yeah. were ridiculous. Yeah. 
Oh, uh, Kent State, I think it was, which plays mm. Georgia. I think that's it. Kent State's probably the worst team in in the FCS. Yeah, yeah they just lost or, or FBS players. Kent State lost like forty players to the portal. I think they had one returning starter. I, I think that's who they beat. I could be wrong, but uh, Central Florida just put up some video game numbers on them. And remember, this is the era of the the shortened game with the clock. Right, shortened yeah. in parentheses. Yeah, uh, they, they just make it up in commercials. <laughs> You're right. Uh, VU Matt 23, uh, he asked about Cedric Alexander. Um, he, you know, we, we talked about that. Uh, so go go back. I'm sure hopefully Matt uh, ended up listening to that. Uh, Nash Native 615, what is the floor for showing improvement one year later in this matchup? It's a good question. Uh, I mean, the floor, I, I guess, would be – I don't know. It's its hard to say because last year Vanderbilt shot themselves in the foot. Vanderbilt was down 3 nothing after the first quarter, right? I mean, they were in the game, and then Mike Wright throws the pick six, and you felt all the air come out of the balloon, you know, and the balloon being the entire stadium. It was one of those plays early in a game where you watch it live and you go – I don't know why, but this game, this game is over, right? It, it, you know, Vanderbilt just it just felt that way. You can't have that, and and you know, I think there's reason to believe you won't. Um, now I know AJ threw an interception against Alabama A&M, um, but it's a different offense. This is a different style of quarterback. Um, so I, I'm not even going to try to to predict the floor for showing improvement one year later, um, but. You know, this is a game, you talk about proof of concept, go on the road and beat Wake Forest, a program that Clark Lee has sort of modeled his after. You know, you go beat them in year three of the growth of your program, that that's that might not be a statement nationally, but in Nashville with this program, I think that'd be a statement. Um, the floor, I mean, maybe covering the spread, but I don't, that's kind of a tough way of answering it. Um, I I, go win. I mean, I, I think if you win this game, you know, you're sending a message to to the rest of the league saying, you know, we're, you know, we're not ju- not just going to bow down, you know, especially on the road. I don't know how else you guys would answer that. You know, what's the floor for showing improvement one year later? Yeah, Luke, your turn. It, it, it'll come down to turnovers, I think, this game. Um, whoever takes care of the football in the fourth quarter is going to be a one one or two score game. And that you know, let's let's look at this weekend of why teams lost. LSU played a great first half if you if you look at it. Second, but when you get down at the one yard line, you can't score. Look how Clemson lost to Duke. It's turnovers and not not capitalizing. You get a field goal block. First, you know, first to go to one, you don't score. Those type of things we can't have happen. We can't be talking about that after the in the post game. That's not we can't we can't be talking about that. If we are, then we're losing. Billy, I'm going to give a little different take on the game last year. And I said this going in, and it's it's how it played out. I know a lot of people had circled the weight games is maybe the, the upset that they could break through. I just did not think roster-wise they were there yet, and they weren't. I, I thought Wake is a team that mm-hmm. has had a history. It's got a, a star quarterback. It's got A.T. Perry. It's got an identity. It's got the slow mess. Wake was just further along in building its identity as a program and playing to strengths. And, yeah, Vanderbilt, you could say, shot itself in the foot with the right mistakes and all that, and he was awful in that game. 
But at the same time, uh, let's let's back out at the thirty thousand foot level. Which, which team would you expect to show up in that spot? And which team would you not expect to show up in that spot? And that's that's how it played out. Wake was just better as a program that day, and it, it was at season's end, even with the upsets that Vanderbilt pulled late. Now, might it have been a little different, more competitive game had they played later in the season? Yeah, I still think Wake would have won. I, I think you flash forward. I think the way you approach it, objectively, if they beat the spread, I, I guess they've beaten expectations, and that's anywhere from 10.5 to 13 points, I guess, maybe depending on, on who you listen to. Is that going to be good enough for the fan base, uh, you know, and, and for the team? No. I mean, if they go and lose by 12 at Wake, okay, we beat the spread by a point, uh, I don't think moves the needle for anybody. I think to me it, it's it's how maybe maybe the, the answer that makes everybody happy is they have to win. But to me, if they go to Wake, uh, they, they play Wake down to the wire and maybe last team that, that's got the ball kicks a field goal to win it either way, to me that's – that's improvement. Does it get them where they need to go? No, I think I think they need to win this game to get where they need to go. But in the context of that game, I, th- I think just playing this game more competitively uh, shows they're they're closing a gap. All right, let's go to Godors ninety four. Who would get the running back snaps against Wake Forest if you are Clark for a day? And I'm about to cough, so Chris, take this away. <laughs> well, you guys, you guys know my answer, and I think you know Luke's too. Um, although Luke, what would you, what would your snap count? Let's say you get, let's say you get 25 to 30 running plays. How do you distribute the carries in this one? Uh, it would be half, uh, Smith and Gillespie and the other 15 would be Alexander. So you would give Alexander the, half. the line share of the, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you, you would make him your 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 most used back. You just wouldn't cut the other guys out. Right. Which, by the way, I wasn't advocating for that either. We've we've really upset Billy. He's uh, gone. He's left the scene here. No, <laughs> what he what I'm saying is he's not going to be Ray Davis. Yeah, he's not going to get it ninety percent of the time. Right. I feel like Davis I, had a pretty nice game for Kentucky. By the way, I think he ran for what a buck twenty four. Yeah, about like he did when he played with us. Same right. Right. Billy, what did we do to offend you? <laughs> <laughs> we can't hear you. I think you've got it on mute. Had to go grab a water. That was that was that was ugly. Sorry. That was guys. rough. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you guys answer that question? We yeah, did. Okay. Uh, we had one more at the top about stadium renovations. Uh, are the stadium renovations supposed to be ready for next season? And I mean, short answer, no, it's going to take another year for it to be finally all completed, but at least one side of the stadium will be right. I mean, and I think, I think most people should know that by now. Yeah. So, but uh, that's it. That's it for the mailbag. And and by the way, if you've not been to the stadium, it's, you know, it, it doesn't look bad. You've got equipment in the ends and everything, but it's to organize it, to put away the, the, the girders are going up or whatever the beams. I don't, I don't know the construction term for it on that formerly open end zone where they're building the basketball building. So every, every week you go to a game, you can see where they're making some progress, which is kind of, kind of neat to look at every time you walk in over there. Which this weekend we're playing in a stadium that's basically the same size. It only holds 30,000 in weight. So. Yeah. And I, you know, I was thinking about the same thing, Luke, 
it'll be interesting for these players. And and I, you know, Clark has been there. He he coached at Wake. You know, these players are going to get a chance to play in a stadium that, you know, let's face it, will look very similar to theirs in a couple of years. I mean, what Wake has done is really impressive. Um, it, it's nice, you know, it's smaller, it's comfortable. They've got chairbacks throughout the entire stadium, I want to say. Um, maybe there's select, you know, not general admission, but, you know, cheaper tickets where there aren't chairbacks. But I'm interested to, you know, Joey and I are going, I'm interested to just see how it looks because that's what Vanderbilt Stadium, I think they look at that and go, you know, we'd like to have that. So I think that's an interesting aspect to this, especially for fans watching uh, for this uh, 10 a.m. Central Time kickoff. All right, gentlemen, parting thoughts, any any topics or, or things worth the mention that we didn't get into today? I'll, I'll go Billy, Luke, and then me. Yeah, I got a chance, Chris, to watch uh, SEC Inside, uh, you know, the feature that, uh, you know, SEC Network puts out, and it was some really good access, you know, inside the locker room with this program. And after the Alabama A&M game, you know, they showed a, a little tidbit of what Clark said, and, you know, he talked a little bit about the game. But the focus was immediately on to Wake. You know, he said, for you guys that were on the team last year, you know, this stung, um, you know, basically just said it's time. You know, it, it, it it's time for this team, you know, to to play Vanderbilt football and and go on the road and and, and beat Wake Forest and, and make a statement. And you'll have Darren Agu back. A.J. Swan, though, you know, it's time for him, right? It's time for, for him to show himself. Uh, to the country, and this sort of reminds me of going on the road against NIU, right? I think I think this team likes going on the road. I think Swan. There, there's certain players in this team that you know they just they've got that chip on their shoulder. So I'll, I'm interested, Chris, because there there are still a lot of unknowns with this team, right? We talked about offensively how they've been vanilla. Well, that that'll change, as you said, Luke. So uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to, to be to be up there for it, um, but. Vanderbilt fans, I know, are nervous, and and they should they they should be because and that's a good sign, right? You know, you, you've got something to be nervous for, and uh, you know it hasn't always been that way. Well, I'll say this: I think, and I'm, I'm you know, I was joking with you, Billy, the other night that I need to go to Vegas. I've been so close on the first two. <laughs> no turnovers, or if the turnovers are even, the Vanderbilt will win the game. But if we give them short field and that type of thing, we'll lose by 10 to 14 points. All right, here's my final thought, gentlemen. Uh, most important game for Vanderbilt since the 2018 Texas Bowler. I guess they actually played that in 2019. But I, I don't see any way around it. You could go back and say, well, Tennessee a year ago. Um, and, and maybe so. I just didn't think they had a realistic chance in that one. If, if Tennessee showed up, you saw how that played out. So, that might be a lot of pressure to put on a team, but at some point in, in your rebuild, you've got to face one of those moments. And and I'm eager to see how they handle the challenge with a, a lot at stake and, and frankly, a lot to lose if, if they can't pull out a win in Wake Forest. Cause I think at that point, it just, it becomes very hard. Now I, I say that, I, I think that some of the teams in the East, I don't think South Carolina is as good as people thought. I have some questions about Kentucky. Have some questions about Missouri. Um, who am I leaving out here? Florida. Flor oh, Florida. I mean, Florida is a, a winnable game wherever they play it. I think so. Uh, I, I wouldn't. I would say it's impossible for them to get to a bowl, 
but but it to me it's it's very hard to conceive of a realistic way that they do it with because I just don't think the margin for error it's while bigger than last year it's it's still not huge so that's that's my parting thought most important game that this program has played in in five years I believe and and I'll add this too last year if they were to beat Wake Forest you know they're a bowl team right and I know hindsight you know is twenty twenty. Um, but they they know that, right? They know if they beat Wake Forest this year, it's a little bit easier to get to a bowl, right? So Oreo closes us out. Yes, we've, we've <laughs> excited him. He's he's excited about the possibility of a bowl game. That's what he's saying. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, thank you to everybody for listening. The podcast has always been free. We always plan to keep it free. But here's how you can help keep it that way. If you give the podcast a review and a five-star rating, that helps us get noticed wherever you get your podcasts. If you are listening and you've not subscribed to VandySports.com, you get some things over there that you don't get here. Um, it's $99 a year or $9.99 a month, however you like to do it. I, I think maybe 10 to 15% of our audience are, are paying members over there. So if – Boy, if a lot of people listening did that, if we bumped that percentage up significantly, that would really affect things. Um, could, could maybe buy a muzzle for the dog. Uh, that that might be a good investment on things. Um, anyway, subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's free. Subscribe is just a follow. So do that. That helps our analytics over there. And if you're interested in sponsoring something, we still don't have a sponsor for football content. Give me uh, Drop me a line at chrislee70 at gmail.com, and I'll answer that. Thanks for listening and watching. We'll catch you again soon with more episodes of the Vandy Sports Podcast.